We're in part two of our series that I am calling Keep Dreaming. And uh, if you have your Bibles with you or your phones, you can turn to Genesis chapter number 37. And I'm going to read verse five. It'll be up on the screen for you. And my wife, I know she wants me to announce this publicly. She brought her Bible today to church. So uh, she bought it uh, last week and she was like, I'm going to start bringing my Bible to church. So I, I don't think she trusts that I'm actually quoting scripture. So she wants to make sure. So uh, and I encourage you to do the same. So Genesis chapter 37 and verse five. And it says this. Then Joseph had a dream. Is there a dream that God has put inside of your heart? Is there a dream that God has put on your heart to fulfill, to accomplish in your life? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would revive the dreams that you have given us. Lord, and if we're sitting in here today and we feel like we don't have a dream, I pray that you would download that dream into our hearts of what we were put on this earth to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Do you still give yourself permission to dream? Or because of some bitter life experience, have you become so cynical and so negative towards life that you have stopped dreaming? Have you stopped dreaming about a better future for yourself or for your family? Last week, we talked about the question, what do you do when you feel further from the dream God has given you than when he first gave you the dream? What do you do when you're in that place where God gave you a dream, but you feel further from it? You're years down the road, but you feel further from that dream than when God first spoke to you. And we talked about the amazing story in the book of Judges about Gideon and how he defeated the Midianite army, even though he was outnumbered 300 to 135,000. Yet he held on to the dream that God gave him, and he trusted God despite uh, being outnumbered, despite his limitations, despite his struggles, and God delivered Midian into his hands. Today, we're going to talk about another dreamer, and his name is Joseph. The story of Joseph begins in Genesis chapter 37, and it goes all the way to the end of Genesis in chapter number 50. And it's probably uh, my favorite story in all of the Bible. Uh, this story has everything needed for a Hollywood epic. It has betrayal. It has drama. It has controversy. And it has redemption. It has a hero in the story that defied all odds to save a nation. It's an incredible incredible story. I encourage you to read through Genesis 37 to 50 uh, this week. It's, it's an amazing, amazing story. And so Genesis 37, 5 says, then Joseph had a dream. It all started with a dream. I hope you know by now that God didn't just save you to save you from hell. God saved you for so much more than just uh, fire insurance and to keep you out of a life of burning in hell. He saved you for so much more. If you've been part of our church for more than one week, I hope that you get that and that you understand that, that God has saved you for so much more. And he has some, some incredible things that he wants to accomplish through your life. Jesus did not risk everything and die on the cross to ensure a safe life for uh, all of those who call upon his name to be saved. Philippians 2, 12 says this, 
Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Let me ask you a question. Is there anything happening in your life right now where your obedience to the Lord scares the crap out of you? Excuse my language. But is there anything you're doing right now that scares the living daylights out of you? Because you're stepping out in faith. Paul tells us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Is there anything you're doing for God right now that causes you to fear and to tremble? Or is your entire Christian walk about ensuring your happiness, your safety, and your comfort? When was the last time you went up to a complete stranger to invite them to church, and as you walked up to them, you, you, you felt the fear and you started trembling because you don't know this person, and, and, and you're thinking to your, in your head, what if they reject me? What if they make me look stupid? What if they don't want to take the flyer that I have in my hand? What if they start talking to me about Christianity and ask me a question that I can't answer? When was the last time you put yourself in a place like that where you were full of fear and you were trembling? Some people, when they talk to people, they have none of that. Every single time, and I've talked to people all the time, every single time I do it, I'm nervous. Every single time I do it, I fear rejection. When was the last time you put yourself in a position like that. When was the last time you gave an offering to God that made you fear and tremble because it was such a big step of faith for you? Maybe God is speaking to you about going for that new promotion at work that is outside of your expertise and you're holding back because you're afraid, because you don't think you're qualified. Let me help you out. God's dreams will always be scary. They're always going to be scary. That's how you know it's God. If you can accomplish your dream by yourself, that's a guarantee that it's not from God. Okay? Because he will never call you to something that you don't have to trust him for. Okay? A God-sized dream is too big for you to fulfill in your own strength. Back in August, our parent church in Texas, after three years of supporting our full-time salary, uh, they were not able to do that any longer. And, 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 And... and uh, I, I never felt peace about getting a part-time job outside of what the job that I'm doing here in this church. I, I felt like God was saying, I want you to trust me. You can go out and get a job, but I don't want you to right now. I want you to focus on the job that I have for you, and that's to establish this church. And so it was scary, and it's still scary. It's a huge risk, but, but God has provided. And many times, most of the time, It's happened at the last possible millisecond where I'm hanging over the edge, over the ledge, thinking, man, I don't know what we're going to do when God has provided in different means and different ways. So I know what it means to walk out my salvation with some fear and trembling happening. Okay, In his book, Play the Man, Mark Batterson Uh, tells the story of him and his son spending a week in the Galapagos Islands off of the coast of Ecuador. And and he he talks about how he saw 200-year-old turtles weighing in at nearly 1,000 pounds. And he saw these giant, humongous iguanas. And he saw birds, he says, that looked like they belonged in the movie Jurassic Park. 
And they went swimming with sea lions, which they found out later wasn't the safest thing in the world to do. But he ends up having this, this time at the, at the Galapagos Islands, and then he goes back to Washington, D.C., where he lives and he pastors his church. And a couple weeks later, he ends up going to the National Zoo in D.C. with his family. And he says that after his trip to the Galapagos Islands, zoos were absolutely ruined for him. He, he said when he saw the lions caged up and bored, it, it, it just did nothing for him anymore because he saw these, uh, these animals on this island in their, uh, in their habitat, out in the wild, just roaming freely. And, and, and when he saw all of these animals caged in, it just didn't do anything for him anymore. And then he had this thought that really spoke to me. He said, he had this thought, I wonder if churches do to people what zoos do to animals. Meditate on that for a second. They'll mess you up. Here's why I think he may be onto something. Have you ever heard a Christian say something like this? Um, Jesus will never ask you to do anything that you don't want to do. <laughs> what? He asked you to pick up your cross and follow him. He asks you to deny yourself. He asks you to go to all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. Yeah. That, but, but we have created this culture inside of the church. Well, if, you, if you're uncomfortable, you don't have to do that, okay? If you don't want to get rid of that in your life, even though the Bible talks about it being a sin, you, you don't, you don't got to do that. Just what you're comfortable with. We've created a culture like that in church. Do you know how many people have told me that they'd never move to New York City because they wouldn't want to be that far from their family? I'm not saying it's easy by any stretch of the imagination. It's hard to live away from your family. Uh, Priscilla and I do that. Teacher and Michelle can attest to that. Many of you can attest to that as well. It's not easy. It wasn't easy seeing my kids bawling and crying uh, during our last trip to Texas because we were leaving. It wasn't easy. We, felt, we feel a sense of guilt. But you know what? At the end of the day, I would rather my kids' memories of their mom and dad be Man, they risked it all to step out in faith and do what God called them to do. Yeah. Then, then our legacy being, man, they made sure that we were as close to grandma and grandpa as we possibly could. Yeah. I want our legacy to be that my mom and dad stepped out in faith and they did what God told them to do. Yeah. And it wasn't always easy. It wasn't always comfortable. It wasn't always convenient. But man, they stepped out in faith and they did what God yeah. told them to do. That's what I want my legacy to be. Some people say to pastors, well, you don't want to challenge your people too much because they might leave your church. Guys, I hope that our church, that you want to be challenged by God's word. I hope that you want your faith to be stretched. I hope that you, you, I hope that when you leave Sunday service that you feel like, man, I, 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 God is calling me to take a risk in my workplace. God is calling me to take a risk in my life. God is calling me to step out in faith. I don't want you to feel like every time you left church that, that you know, I've been there, done that, heard that message a million times, and it doesn't rattle you. It doesn't stretch you. It doesn't make you uncomfortable. I'm even okay if you get offended with me from time to time. I'm actually doing my job if you get offended with me. If you feel like, man, Pastor Stephen's stepping on my toes this week. I need to step on your toes sometimes. Yeah. And, and I need to encourage you and build you up sometimes as well. It's both. 
It's time that the people of God break out of their cages and pursue the things God has for them regardless of the cost. We've caged people up in churches for far too long and we need to let them loose. We need to let them loose. That's why we have people leaving churches now because they say things like, well, I'm looking for a church that serves lattes and Americanos and all you do is serve uh, 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 coffee out of the pot. So I'm going to a church where they serve lattes. We, we have people leaving the church because they say, well, I, I want a church where they only preach from the KJV version. And you guys use all different types of versions. I, I need to find another church like that. We have people saying, I'm looking for a church with max amenities, but a church that never talks about giving money. And we've created a church culture of consumer Christians that don't dream anymore. They're dreaming of lattes on Sunday mornings when God is saying, there's a whole world out there that needs me. There's a whole world out there that that, that isn't experiencing the gift that I put inside of you. I have so much more for you than that. We have settled in the church. We have settled for second best. And God is saying, I have so much more. Things that you haven't even thought about. Things that you haven't even imagined I have for you. We have created a church culture of consumer Christians that don't dream anymore. They don't think that God can use them in their workplace. They don't think that God can use them in their neighborhood to affect change. They don't think that God can use them in the fashion industry or on Broadway or in Hollywood or on Wall Street or in in the educational field or in the political arena. They They don't dream about those things anymore. We have a church culture that lacks creativity mixed with grit. And we need that mix in the church. Church, we must keep dreaming. I can't say that enough. We must keep dreaming. When we look at Joseph's life, we see a few things that I want to pull out this morning about dreaming and about dreams. And so let's get started. Number one, dreams inspire hope. Dreams inspire hope. Joseph, at the time he received his dream, was the second youngest of 12 sons in his family. He was only a teenager when he received this dream from the Lord. And as the second youngest son in a family that big, you probably were having to fight and scratch and crawl for just about everything. With 10 older brothers, it was survival of the fittest. Uh, He probably got all of the hand-me-downs from his older brothers. Uh, When they were playing games, when they were playing pickup basketball, he was probably the last one picked, or he wasn't even picked at all, you know? Uh, You ever been been in that, uh, playing pickup basketball, and they they pick people, and like, they don't even pick you, you're just the last one, so you end up going to the team that needs you? (laughs) That was probably how Joseph felt growing up. But God's hand was on Joseph. God's favor was on Joseph. Joseph. In fact, his father favored Joseph more than any of his other sons. Genesis 37.3 says this, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. 
Let's be clear here, though. Neither Jacob nor Joseph handled the favor very well. Okay? Jacob's clear favoritism of Joseph created animosity towards him from his other brothers. Uh, his, his clear and blatant favoritism cl- uh, created a rivalry uh, among, between him and his older siblings. And what I love about the Bible is that it doesn't gloss over the problems that bad parenting can cause. Everybody in the Bible isn't a perfect parent. Okay? It talks about the issues that can be created when parents make mistakes. And Jacob made a mistake in how he treated Jake, uh, Joseph in front of his other brothers. Jacob gave his son the special coat of many colors while excluding all of his other brothers. And this coat that Jacob gave his son uh, marked the owner as the one who was going to be the future leader of the household, which was reserved normally for the firstborn son, which in this case would have been Reuben. But instead of doing this for Reuben, he did it for Joseph, creating even more animosity between Joseph and his brothers. It clearly appears that Jacob did nothing to hide the fact that Joseph was more important to him than all of his other kids. I don't know if you've ever experienced being the one that is not favored, but it can be a very hurtful experience. Maybe you had an older brother or sister that was the achiever of the family, and everything that you did, everything that you tried to do was always compared to them. And you always felt like you didn't add up. You always felt like you weren't good enough. You always felt like, I just can't, I just can't be them. I'm just me, and it's just not good enough for my mom and dad. Or, or maybe it was the baby of the family that came along unexpectedly, and, and they garnered all of the love and attention while you were left feeling neglected. Imagine in your own life if your parents didn't hide the fact that they loved your brother or sister more than you. Think about how that would make you feel. That would create a lot of identity issues inside of you that you would for sure carry on into adulthood. On the other side with Joseph, he didn't handle the favor of his father particularly well either. Okay? He, he came off a bit arrogant and full of himself at times, right? Um, clearly, God had a plan for Joseph to lead his family after his father had passed away and had great things in store for Joseph, but Joseph was a little bit cocky, okay? He, he tended to do some things to put fuel on the fire that was already there. In Genesis 37, verses 5 through 11, we read that Joseph had two dreams and they both centered around his brothers and parents bowing down to him, which we know was from God because it came to pass later on in their lives. But if you already know your brothers hate you, if you already know your brothers are jealous of you, you probably don't want to tell them a dream that they're bowing down to you if you want things to go well in your household. But he did it anyway. And I don't think it would be a stretch to say that Joseph used these dreams to inflate his already puffed up view of himself due to his father's favoritism. Maybe he was naive, but maybe he did this to puff up his own view of himself. I I think, my opinion is Joseph may have used his dreams as a tool of self-promotion and his brothers didn't take too kindly to it. That's the negative side of Jacob and Joseph, but the positive side is that these dreams inspired Joseph to think bigger, okay? 
These God-given dreams gave Joseph a sense of hope for the future, that his family would look to him for leadership and direction. Okay, The dreams that God gives us are to make our lives, communities, and cities a better place. Okay, When God gives you a dream, it's to create a better future for yourself and for your family. Okay, When God gives you a dream, it's to fight injustice in your life and in the lives of those around you. When God gives you a dream, it's not just for you. It's for other people that your dream, you walking in obedience and fulfilling your dream, it's, it's, it's for the other people that that dream is going to impact and help. If the dream in your heart only benefits you, that is not a God dream. That is a me dream. Okay, and me dreams are too small for the people of God. God's dream for you will always impact someone else. God's dream for you will, will, will always cause someone else to thrive and flourish. That dream in your heart, for those of you who are single in here, to be married one day is so that is not just so that you can have your loneliness fulfilled and all your de desires fulfilled and all that. It's so that now you can have two people pursuing the things of God simultaneously together. Okay, that, that, That's the bigger picture of marriage. Uh, the dream of you having children and being a mother or father someday is so that you can empower and equip the next generation to be people of God in their world. Motherhood and fatherhood, they are huge dreams and should not be diminished. Be, if, if your dream is to be an awesome mom or an awesome dad, that, that is no lesser than somebody that, that wants to do something, something else, start their own business or plant their own church or anything like that. As Christians, we are called to disciple our children, not just get them through adulthood and hope for the best. Okay? That dream in your heart to give tons of money for kingdom causes is for the purpose of winning more people to Christ and to populate heaven and to depopulate hell. That is a good dream, especially if you're in this church. That is a good dream. Amen? Keep dreaming because dreamers inspire hope. And when you have a dream... Uh, some people will hate you and others will be inspired by you to pursue their dreams. Right. So keep dreaming. Amen. Number two, dreams invoke jealousy. Dreams invoke jealousy. Genesis 37, 5. Now Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Why would someone hate you simply because you shared a dream in your heart with them? It's because they know that the fulfillment of that dream is in you. You see, because they know it's true and it's going to come to pass because they see God's hand all over you. Yeah. Nobody would hate you for a dream if, if, it didn't, if it wasn't a threat to them. Okay? And so because they see the fulfillment inside of you, because they see the hand of God on you, because they see the giftings in you, it, it invokes jealousy because they know that the fulfillment is inside of you. Right. Amen? When your dream is bigger than someone else's dream and they're not content with the dream that God has given them, their response is usually jealousy that manifests itself through hatred. Yeah. Okay? 
Or when you start to pursue your dream and someone's too lazy to work on their dream. Hello? When you start to pursue your dream and someone else is too lazy to work on their dream, they'll instead act out in jealousy towards you because it's easier than working on their own dream. It's easier to be jealous of someone else than to, than to do the hard work of pursuing your own dream. Joseph's brothers hated him because he was favored, and they knew that what he dreamt was going to come to pass. Favor ain't fair. Okay? Tell your neighbor, look at your neighbor and tell him, favor ain't fair. Favor ain't fair. And if you know Jesus today, you are highly favored. Okay? It's not just Joseph in the family. If you have J Jesus in your heart because he is favored, you are favored. Okay? And favor ain't fair. And so when you are favored, there will be some people that love you and there will be a whole lot of people that hate you. When you have a dream that you are pursuing, people that don't want to do the work to fulfill their dream, the people that don't want to pay the price to be obedient, to follow their dream, they'll instead use that negative energy toward you. So just keep walking when people like that are in your life. Amen? Number three, dreams invite. We're getting better here, more, more and more positive. Dreams invite demonic attack. <laughs> Dreams invite demonic attack. We went from hope to demonic attack. Hopefully we can get better before I'm done here. Ephesians 6.12, I'm going to read it in the Amplified Version and then in the Passion Translation. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural places. The Passion Translation says, Your hand-to-hand -hand combat is not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. For they are a powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold this world this dark world in bondage. So what does this mean for us? It means that there is an unseen world where spiritual battles are taking place all around us that affect our everyday lives. Okay? Paul tells us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. He's telling us that it's not against physical opponents. The Passion Translation says that our hand-to-hand -hand combat, it's, it's not with human beings. There are things that are happening around you yeah. that you can't see that affect what you can see. Yeah. Okay? So good. There, there are things that, that you think you're just out of the blue, you're, you're, you're just dealing with depression one day? Come on. you, you think just out of the blue, you just get this temptation and you want to do something that is just completely out of your character? You, you, just, you just think that certain sins, certain addictions just passed down from family to family, that there's no spiritual cause to that? We, we live in a, in, a, in a natural world, but there's a spiritual world that's just as real as this natural world. So that means, some of y'all are going to get upset with me, that means that your spouse is not the enemy. That spouse is not the cause of all your problems. I hope Priscilla doesn't get mad at me for this, but there are times where she'll talk to me in a certain way, and I'll say, Priscilla, you, you shouldn't, you, 
don't talk to me. That's so disrespectful. And she'll say, well, don't do what you did to, talk, to make me talk to you that way. And I say, you have your own vocal cords. You have your own mind. No, what you did made me and forced me to talk to you that way and respond to you that way. Your spouse is not the enemy. Your crazy Aunt Sally is not the enemy, okay? Your difficult boss is not the enemy. That person, this, this is hard, that person that uses up three seats on the train because they think that it's a Sealy Posturepedic is not the enemy. Those people that don't clean up after their dogs are not the enemy. They might be demon-possessed, but they're not the enemy. The devil is using them in your life to distract you from pursuing God's best in your life. When we believe that, the per that a person, that a human is the enemy, we give, we give that person way too much power. If you believe that that person is the enemy, then, then, then the only way that anything can change in your life is if that person, uh, if that person does it for you, okay? Because you have given that person authority and too much strength and too much power and influence in your life. We waste so much time trying to change people that we lose sight of the strategy, the overall big picture strategy the enemy is using to bring hurt and pain and discouragement into our lives, ultimately to cut short what God has for us. Yeah. When God gives you a dream, there is a target that is placed on your back. And the bigger the dream, the bigger the target. So if today you feel like you have a huge target all over you, it's because God has planted a huge dream that's going to make an, an incredible impact in your world. And that is why the target is so big. And so if there's a target on your back, don't be discouraged, be encouraged, because God believes in you. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Satan doesn't want you to fulfill the dream that God has placed in your heart because if it is a God-sized dream, it involves shrinking the devil's kingdom and the devil does not like it. Look at what Joseph's brothers conspired to do after Joseph shared his dream with them. And on a side note, on a side note be very careful with who you share your dreams with. Be very careful. Joseph's brothers were out taking care of their father's flocks and uh, Joseph... Uh, or Jacob sent Joseph out to check on his brothers and to bring a report back to him about how everything was going. And we pick up in verse 18 of Genesis 37, and it says, When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. And then look at verse 19. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Here comes the dreamer. Joseph's brothers clearly motivated by evil, wanted to ensure that their brother Joseph did not fulfill the dreams that God had given him. They even called him a dreamer as he was approaching them. And so they, they, were, they were meditating, they were thinking about uh, the dream. They were thinking about what he told them. So as he was approaching, they said, here comes the dreamer. Those of us familiar with the story know that Joseph's brother uh, the brothers, they didn't end up killing him, but they did the nobler thing, if you can call it that, and they ended up selling him to some Ishmaelite traders who were on their way to Egypt. Your dream will never come to pass without problems, obstacles, and struggles. Okay? 
The ultimate dream for Joseph was that he become the prime minister of Egypt. And from that place of influence, he could save his people from famine that they were experiencing. From the place of political power, Joseph was able to preserve his family line and create prosperity in Egypt during a terrible, terrible famine. But Joseph could never have risen to that platform without being thrown into a pit, without being sold into Potiphar's house, and without being falsely accused of rape and being thrown into prison for two years. Joseph could have never elevated to that place if that had not happened. Joseph thought he was going to lead his family in Israel. But God had a bigger plan for him to, to take him to Egypt, okay? And sometimes, sometimes from Israel to Egypt in our lives does not look like what we envisioned in our minds it would look like. I don't think Joseph ever envisioned that he was going to be sold into slavery and then falsely accused of rape and then spend years in prison before he finally saw the fulfillment of his dream. Every place Joseph found himself was used by God to get him to the palace. So could you put up that next slide? God gives you a dream. And then we think, I think, God gives me a dream and boom, he makes it happen and everything is awesome. He fills up the school auditorium. We got to do another service. He fills that one up. We got to do a third service. We got to find another location and, and it just happens like that. Uh, no. <laughs> Most of the time, you, you, God gives you a dream, then he sends you into the pit. Spend a little bit of time into the pit. Then he lets you go into Potiphar's house for a little bit. And then, when you thought things couldn't get any wor worse, you, you go to prison for a little bit. <laughs> and then it, it's through these stages that, that, that God finally gets you into the palace, the place where your dream becomes fulfilled. The place where you start to walk out what God has called you to walk out. Every dream comes with a pit. Every dream comes with a Potiphar's house. And every dream comes with a prison. Okay? If you want to avoid hardship, don't follow Jesus. I heard a preacher say this this week, and I thought it was so good. He said, there is nothing Jesus will ever call you to that is less than you are already facing. Every stage, every struggle, every problem you're facing right now, God will use in the ultimate fulfillment of your dream. So don't give up and don't lose hope. And don't get discouraged in the moment to the point where you're like, I can't do this anymore. It's during the struggles in our lives that obedience becomes paramount in moving forward. Part of our testimony is that we obeyed what God called us to do despite going through cancer. Okay, uh, When I didn't understand what God was allowing to happen to me, obedience became the light that led my path. Okay, in your own life, it's going to be obedience to God's word and obedience to God's voice that lights your path when darkness is trying to overwhelm you. Okay, when darkness is overwhelming you, you can't depend on your feelings. You can't depend on what someone else tells you. It's it's obedience to God's word and it's obedience to God's voice that lights your path when 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 there's this overwhelming sense of darkness in your life. Just like the pit 
Just like slavery in Potiphar's house and prison were the catalysts for Joseph ending up in the palace. Me going through cancer twice was the catalyst for everything that transpired this last week in Texas that I talked to you guys about last week. You know, the truth is, is that our story is just not as compelling without me going through cancer at the same time we launched our church. And not only did we get recognized at the Church Planters Conference and blessed with a pretty significant uh, 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 financial blessing, but a pastor reached out to me and said, hey, I'm writing, uh, I'm writing my next book and I wanted to know if you would be okay with me uh, using your story as one of the chapters in my book. And we also had uh, 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 the managing editor of a, of, a, of a Christian magazine reach out to us and say, we want to publish a story in, in our magazine, your story in a magazine. And I'm not saying this to like brag, it's nothing to brag about, it, but I'm saying this, none of this would have happened if I had not gone through what I'd gone through. None of this, n- none of the doors would have been opened had I not experienced what I had experienced. And here's the truth, it sucks when you're going through it. But God has a plan. I didn't know what God was up to. And if I could have the worship team come up. I didn't know what God was up to when I was throwing up in that plastic pan in the hospital because I was so nauseous due to the chemotherapy. You know, I I didn't know what God was up to when I was so sick that I could barely get myself up out of bed and I had to find the strength somehow to come to church and preach a message. I didn't know know what God was up to when the chemo had affected me so much that when I would go to a place that I had gone to many, many times, when I would go to my kid's school to pick up my children, when I had the energy enough to actually do that during chemo, that there would be people that I, that I was friends with, that, that we were close, that when I would go to pick up my kids, they would walk right past me, not because they were trying to be mean, but because they didn't recognize what I looked like. And I knew this because I would go up to them and say, hey, how you doing? And they, they'd do a double glance and they'd say, oh, Steve, it's you. I didn't know what God was up to during those moments of darkness. All I knew how to do was obey what God told me to do before I started going through what I was going through. That's all I knew how to do is put one foot in front of the other and and another foot in front of the other. That's all I knew how to do. But God had a plan. And God has a plan for you. You might not know why you're going through what you're going through. You might not know what God is doing in your life right now. But I'm telling you, put one foot in front of the other. And when you get knocked down, get yourself back up. And I'm telling you, it's not a feeling. It's it's not something that flies out of the sky. It's, It's obedience that will light your path through this darkness. It's obedience. So if you're going through something right now and you just feel like, I don't know 
if it's worth it to continue pursuing this dream. I want to tell you, keep going. Keep moving forward. Keep pursuing what God has spoken to your heart. Because there are people out there that your dream is going to impact and it's going to radically transform their lives. There are communities that are going to be shaped by your dreams. There are people's families where the trajectory of their families might completely change because of your dream. You know, we're, we're picking up I don't know how many we picked up today, but we've been picking up a lot of kids in our neighborhoods and their parents, their, their parents aren't coming to church yet. But our dream is to one day see all of these families where their kids are coming right now, to see all of their families transformed by the love of Jesus. Where, where we're, we're giving these kids Jesus every single Sunday and they'll take it back home and give it to their parents. And my dream is that there will be some Priscilla's in these kids back in the, in, the, in the kids' church right now. There will be some Tichos back in the kids' room. Because you know what? These two people right here, they're serving the Lord and their families are serving the Lord today because an older lady, every single Sunday, uh, picked them up in a, in a van and took them to church. Their parents didn't go for years, but they got Jesus inside of them and they took it into their families' homes and their parents are saved now because of the, the influence of being picked up and taken to church and being given Jesus at church. There are people whose lives are going to be radically different because you said, you know what, I don't, I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know how this is going to be fulfilled, but I'm just going to be obedient. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.